Hey everybody, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life and what next steps do you need to take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 28. You know, have you ever thought about how to stand out in this micro-attention world? You may be generating new opportunities through your business or you want to scale your business you want to create a compelling brand, and maybe you are the brand. And how do you thrive in this world where you only have three seconds <laughs> to stand out? How do you do it? Well, if, that, if that's you, if that's ever crossed your mind about how do you do that, this episode was custom-built for you because we are joined by Brendan Kane. Now, many of you know Brendan. For those who don't, uh, he is a growth strategist, and he has incredible insights into some of those questions. He is a wizard in the social media sphere. Uh, Brendan has built online platforms for A-listers, including Taylor Swift and Rihanna. He's advised the big brands such as MTV and Skechers, Ikea, on how to grow their digital audience, and more than that, how to drive engagement. And now in this episode, he's going to share a few of these secrets with all of us. Now, Brendan is also a best-selling author. His latest book is called Hook Point, How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World, an incredible read, and also another best-selling book called One Million Followers, How I Built a Massive Social Following in 30 Days. And he did it. He has over one million followers on Instagram, incredible content, and he has some insights to share. And so now, let's get into it. Welcome to Episode 28, and here is Brendan Kane. So, Brendan, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Darren. And it's a pleasure to connect with everybody that's tuning into this. You are a many things. I mean, I've read Forbes articles and uh, Inc. magazine, and you've been described as a digital strategist, uh, a growth hacker to Fortune 500 companies and celebrities and big brands. Let's start first with how, how would you describe who you are? What exactly do you do? And how did you land here, Brendan? Yeah, essentially, uh, since 2005, myself and my team really have dissected what causes things to go viral uh, and reverse engineered virality. And I kind of got into this uh, in a in a roundabout way in that I started actually wanting to be a film producer. And I went to uh, film school to hopefully learn about the business of the entertainment industry and quickly showed up and realized they don't teach you anything about business and film school. So I had to quickly figure out a way to, to get that education on my own. And uh, I thought the best way to go about that was to start your own companies. And the most cost-efficient way at the time, and it still holds true today, is to start online companies. So I started a few internet companies while I was going to college just to learn and experiment. And then when I showed up to LA in 2005 to pursue a career in film, uh, I started like everybody else at the bottom, making coffee, copies, deliveries. And I was looking for that, that hook point, that, that extra edge to get me to stand out above everybody else to grab the attention of executives, producers, directors. And when they would ask me why I moved to LA, I would say I wanted to be a film producer and I could see everybody's eyes glaze over. Uh, so I had to take a step back and, and really analyze what was going to be the value, the unique value that I could provide that would allow me to stand out. And I just realized that every time we finished a film, this was a single piece of content that we would invest tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars to produce and market. So there would be an extreme sense of anxiety that would come over the office every time we finished a, a film. So I just started going to the the heads of the studio saying, listen, I've 
I can tap into these online audiences uh, at scale for a fraction of the cost or no cost at all compared to what we were paying on television, print, and radio. Uh, so I quickly went from making coffee and copies to creating digital divisions for movie studios and then just realized uh, there was far more growth and potential going in this direction of digital and social media. So you were one of the very first then in that in the film industry to really tap into the this in quotes now influencers or this these platforms. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So I did the first ever influencer campaign on YouTube in around 2007, uh, and also built the first ever influencer technology platform on top of MySpace around the same time. And again, at, at that at that stage, influencer wasn't a term. Uh, yeah. It wasn't. It didn't really exist. I just saw that there was the opportunity to tap into these individuals that were accumulating, you know, a significant audience and and visibility around the content that they were producing online. But the world has changed so much from 2007 to today. Was Instagram even a thing in 2007? I mean, when we say, no. yeah, so no, it was really MySpace was kind of the predominant player and. YouTube and Facebook were, were, were gaining market share. Well, okay. In, in part of your, your great book, Hookpoint, right? How to stand out in a three second world. What was the world like in 2007? Was it, was it three seconds or was it a lot longer than that? What, what have you seen? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because I can remember back and I think this was 2005, 2006 when MySpace hit its first million users. And that was, you know, a big thing. <laughs> Uh, and I would say the biggest shift is today in, in 2022, there's 4 billion people on social media. Oh my so there's, gosh. There's 4 billion content creators. You know, there's upwards of 200 billion messages sent into the world every day. So the biggest shift is that grab for attention. Uh, so the, the three second concept and the three second rule is really your first job as a content creator, as a marketer is how do I grab that attention? How do I stop the scroll? Because if you don't do that, then you get lost in that sea, sea of noise. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't hold attention for a long period of time because you can. You can look at examples of people listening to podcasts or people binge watching Squid Games on Netflix over the series of the weekend. But grabbing that attention is one of the more difficult things uh, when there is so many different content creators out there in the world. There's a lot of companies who spend a lot of time on the what. It's, you know, what do we do? Um, maybe how our product works. And, and, and even, even maybe, you know, Brendan, getting more into that why. You're introducing something different, though. It's this, how do you grab attention? Because if only more people knew this, this we could grow sales, we could grow profits. But it seems like there's, we're a little bit stuck on the, on the what and the how and the why. Piece that together for me. You agree? Disagree? Yeah, so we we look at we look at two things. It's it's grabbing attention and holding attention because it's not just about how do we get somebody to stop. It's also how do we tell an effective story that can hold their attention for as long as possible. And one of the the key reasons that we focus on those two principles is when we think about social media, which is the primary mechanism for disseminating media to the masses, uh, the the reach and distribution is controlled by algorithms. And there's a lot of confusion, misinformation about algorithms. Uh, one of the, 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 the key myths out there is the algorithms suppress your reach on purpose in order to get you to pay for reach. 
Uh. It's just simply not the case because if it was, nobody would ever go viral. So the algorithms really only have one single goal and that's user retention. So to keep people on the platform longer so they can serve more ads and generate more profit. And because that's their primary goal and because they have billions and billions of pieces of content to choose from, they are looking for content that can grab that attention, but more importantly, hold that attention with the widest possible audience. They, you know, at the end of the day, the algorithms want to be your best friend because we are their product. They're not, these platforms aren't really in the business of creating content. Mm -hmm. We are their content. Thus, they're looking for content creators like you and I that can effectively hold audiences attention for as long as possible, because by doing that, it keeps people on the platform. They can serve more ads. In addition, it keeps people off of the competitive platforms. So that's kind of one of the the, the key things that, that we look at. And when you talk about, you know, the why and your message and things of that nature, our core expertise and the reason that our team, uh, has collectively done about 60 billion views and hundred million followers and a billion in revenue for the projects that we worked on is we focus less around the why we focus less around the actual message and more about the context. So how do you contextualize your message for the masses? Because that really dictates your ability to, to successfully grab and hold attention because we look at in, in some people think, Oh, well, it's only silly cat videos or girls in bikinis that go viral. That's not the case. Like I could point to uh, accounts around taxes, around insurance, around medical, um, around real estate that go super viral because it's the yeah. way that they're contextualizing it for the general audience, making anybody interested in what they have to say, even if they have never thought about that subject matter, or maybe even they've believed in the past that that subject matter wasn't interesting to them. Wow. You know, conventional wisdom is that, yeah, in order to get something to go viral, it's a mystery, right? No one knows. It just went viral. And you're saying you have the ability to reverse engineer this in a way. Uh, and, and the whole contextualization, if I have that word right, can you give me ex- an example, just so I get it? I want to make sure I understand it. When you say the context or contextualization, what, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. So, so first off, what you said is accurate. We firmly believe that virality isn't luck, it's engineered. And that's the reason that we've had success. So we have a viral content engineering process that we've used to generate 60 billion views and 100 million followers organically. And so the the core crux of that process is research. So what that means is we go off into social media and it doesn't matter what platform it is or what niche or industry. And what we do is we analyze uh, accounts, uh, formats, trends that are going viral. But we don't just look at the ones that are super successful. We look at the ones that are underperforming as well. Hmm. So we have a, a process that's called gold, silver, bronze. So let's just take that we, let's just say that we take um, an influencer that has a few million followers. What we'll do is we'll analyze their most viewed videos, which is the gold. Then we'll look at their average view videos. So like we just did a, an account and the gold was like 30 to 40 million views of video. The average, the silver was about a million views of video. And then the bronze, the underperforming was like a few hundred thousand views of video. Mm-hmm. And 
for some people out there, they may say, oh, the, even the bronze sounds like huge numbers, but this is a part of the, the learning process because in order to really understand what goes viral, you can't just look at the highest performers. So we look at over 50 different indicators of what could cause something to go viral. So that could be pacing, tonality, uh, number of edits, the first three seconds, captions, title cards, thumbnails, all these different variables. And we create hypotheses by looking at the gold videos. Like what are the performance drivers? Again, we're not looking at the message. We're looking at the these performance drivers, which are the context of how the message is delivered. And then once we come up with the hypotheses in the, in the gold, then we see, do they show up in the silver and bronze? Because if they show up in the silver and bronze, then we have to knock it out because that's not the reason that's causing it to go viral. <laughs> and then we repeat that process over and over again until we identify those performance drivers that show up in the gold, but not the silver and the bronze. So that's kind of at a high level, the process of, of the storytelling mechanism, the context. Again, it's it, it can be very, very nuanced. But to give you uh, an example, like we were dissecting a TikTok influencer called Hunter Prosper. And he uh, goes up on strangers and asks them very uh, emotionally charged questions about like the most difficult thing that they've experienced in life or the, the, the most uh, difficult heartbreak or things of the, those natures. And, you know, his, his gold videos were between 20 to 40 million views and his bronze were in the, you know, like a hundred thousand views or less. And just to kind of uh, to demonstrate the nuance in it, what we saw was uh, the difference between like a gold, a silver and bronze was when he went up to a stranger on the street in the gold videos, he would ask the question of like, what's the most difficult thing that you've experienced in your life? And the person would start giving this emotional answer. But as soon as, soon as this stranger, this person started giving this answer, he would cut to like a stock video of like the Golden Gate Bridge with captions on it oh. versus the underperformers. He would just hold the camera on the individual for the period of the answer and not cut away. So it's those types of nuances. And, and it seems kind of crazy. Like, why would such a small, subtle change make all the difference? It's because, again, the algorithms have so much content to choose from that you're talking about seconds that represent the performance of something going super viral or not. Wow. Um, another example of that, uh, to kind of hone in on that point, I have a friend uh, named Alex Dempleski who's just recently hit 20 million followers on TikTok. And what we did is we analyzed his most vid viewed video, which was like 90 million views, and then an average video, which was about 5 million views. So um, the average uh, watch time on the 90 million view video was 27 seconds versus the 5 million view was 21 seconds. So what we're seeing is a, a six second differential represented over 85 million views and performance. That's the type of nuance and granularity that we're looking at of reaching the highest levels of going viral and reaching the masses. That is unbelievable. Very data-driven data as well, obviously. I mean, this is not just conjecture. You've got some data to, to back this up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is when we work with clients or do any of this, we push all of our creative assumptions aside. Like yeah. we look at the data to inform our decisions of how we help clients, not what our creative um, aspirations are or what our creative beliefs are or what we 
think is going to work. We kind of push ego and all of that aside to allow the data to inform us. And especially in social media, it's changing and evolving so quickly that because our process is deeply rooted in research and our team is doing research every day, it allows us to, no matter what change happens, no matter what new platform algorithm change, we can adapt quickly to it because we're always using a, um, this research process to identify what is working now. You know, it strikes me though, as I think back to where you've been, 2005, 2007, um, growth of social media, you started out wanting to be a film producer and now here you are. Why, why do you do what you do, Brandon? What, what really drives you to get up every morning and with the passion you clearly are exhibiting? I mean, I just love learning and I love sharing those insights of what we learn with people. That, that's really what drives me. I, I, I love connecting with people all over the world, teaching, sharing information and insights. And, and in order to do that, you have to be constantly learning. So that's why our company is, is, is based on research and insights, is, is we create research and insights by all of the data that we collect. And then we share that information with people all over the world to help them effectively uh, craft their messaging so that it can be heard at the highest levels. So who are, the, who are some of the people in your life, though, that, that helped you make that transition? Big assumption on my part. But if you come in as a film producer type, very creative, um, and then, though, listening to you talk, wow, you are all about the data. Is that how you always were? And this, this role, then, this what you do, just kind of uncovered that? Or was there someone who kind of helped you kind of marry the two in, in your vocation? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know that there's any single individual. You know, I, I think from the earliest age, I've always perceived the world through through data. And, and it's kind of the blessing and the curse of starting in the film industry. When you go, when you start in the film industry, you're forced into thinking big. Yeah. Because you need to take a single piece of content and reach hundreds of millions of people around the world in a matter of months. Like you can never walk in the door and say, you know, I've got an idea that can reach 10,000 or 100,000 people because you'd get fired for that. So the other part is for, for myself, I'm not interested in figuring out how to do something once. I'm interested in understanding how you can replicate and duplicate things. And I think a big necessity of achieving that is having a fundamental understanding of what is driving it. And typically what is driving it and that understanding comes from analyzing the data that you know dictates whether it's working or not working. And I think that's a important important distinction is that we don't succeed every time out the gate. But what we do have is a data set that we can compare what went wrong. Mm. You know, what 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 did we miss that that didn't allow this piece of platform or this content or this brand to take off. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of one of the reasons to answer your question of why I resonate with data is it gives you answers to questions of why things didn't work and as well, why things did work. So, so many of my podcast episodes, Brandon, uh, we, we touch a lot of different topics, but when we get into social media, it's powerful, it's for good, but also it's, it really has a potentially, you know, damaging impact on mental health and some of these other, you know, the dark side of all things, right? In this case, social media. What I read about you and watching your uh, interviews and seems like you have a very uh, optimistic view, a positive view on how social media can help change the world with where we're at. Now, 
Is that is that you? Describe for me how you look at the future of social media. Yeah, I think the first thing is it's a tool. And if you look at the history of media in general, whether it was television, print, or radio, that tool could be used for good or it could be used for bad. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk around violence in movies or television or video games. That's just another form of media. The same thing with social media. It's a tool. And that tool can be used to disseminate positive uh, positive and world-changing information, or it can be used for negativity and, and, and releasing negative messages into the world. So I, I never really buy into this concept to say, well, social media is bad, so we shouldn't use it because that's never going to happen. Like it's here to stay no matter whether you believe in it or not, you know, boycotting it is never going to take shape where, you know, because again, we've got 4 billion people on these platforms. Is, uh, are 4 billion people going to wake up one day and all boycott social media? No, no <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's not. But again, the, the these platforms are tools. The content that you distribute through them dictates the positive and negative impacts of those uh, platforms. Again, it's the same with television, um, film, radio, print, video games. They are tools to disseminate messages and media. Now, the media that you push through them dictates the impact that it has on humankind. So to me, yeah. as I, I choose to work with, with brands and individuals and corporations, that, that have a powerful message and are looking to get it out to the masses through these platforms. I love that. And it reminds me though, Brendan, that with all of us with these smartphones, we all have no more power than ever now to communicate a message. Hey, Brendan, let's, uh, let's shift gears here. Hook Point, your brand new book, uh, How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World. Um, what is a hook point? Why is it so powerful? And, and uh, then the follow-up is, why, why that book? Yeah, so... Uh, for the, to start with the, the 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 second question, why the book is I, I had to take a step back and really analyze what has allowed me to be successful in my career, what has allowed my my team to be successful. Um, because people would often ask me, well, how did you come up with the, the concept of doing the first ever influencer campaign? Or how did you get MTV or Taylor Swift or Rihanna as clients? How do you learn to, to go viral on social media? And it really always comes back to the ability to stand out and rise above the noise. And again, it's not necessarily about the message, it's the way that you deliver your message. So just going back to the beginning of our conversation in that I started um, in LA and I could see everybody's eyes glaze over when I wanted to be a, a film producer. So I needed to take a step back and find a different way in. So that allowed me to develop that level of hook point. Or when we talk about mastering social media, uh, it's how do you, how are you contextualizing that message that you're creating, that content that you're creating to stand out? Because the reality is we live in a world at this point where everything's been said. So even yes. though you, you have a unique perspective on something, you need to demonstrate that uniqueness of it. So point. Um, again, a hook point is three core pillars, grabbing attention, holding that attention, and then monetizing that attention at the highest level. So those three core pillars need to come in together. But again, the subtitle of the book, How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World, 
is as we mentioned in the beginning of the conversation is if we're not able to effectively get people to stop in those first three seconds, then we have no chance at all of getting the ability to hold that attention, which is one of the other key ingredients of, of going viral. What would be the one thing that, that all of us might be able to do today? Is there one thing we, we just might have our radar up a little bit more as we think about our own social media? Yeah, I would just, instead of doing a passive approach to social media where you're kind of just consuming content for the sake of consuming content for your own personal pleasure, uh, is, is go in with an active mindset. When you see something that has gone viral, or if you've seen something that hasn't gone viral, you see something that causes you to stop the scroll or something that causes you to not stop the scroll, sit there and kind of analyze the content and see well, what is what are they doing? Like, why is this engaging to me? Why is this disengaging to me? Yeah. And try and take those learnings away. And even if it's if it's a story about um, a an adopted dog or a story about an athlete or an influencer, there are still key takeaways about how they're telling that story that you can leverage for your message. So that would be, I think the, the simplest and easiest place to start is just taking a more active role of what catches your eye, what grabs your attention, and, and just as importantly, what doesn't. Good point. Good point. Brandon, how should we best follow you and your team and all of the great things that you guys are working on? Yeah, people can go to hookpoint.com to learn more about us. Also, we have um, a membership where we deliver these granular research and insights about what's going viral, why it's going viral, and how to apply it. Uh, people can access that at goviral.hookpoint.com. This vast I Dare You podcast audience is, is uh, you know waiting for this. You've done a lot in your career. What advice would you have for someone who's thinking about really making a change and changing their life for the better? What have you learned? Well, I think it goes to your question is, what are you learning? How are you learning? How are you improving yourself? I think that that's the, the, the challenging part of success or any aspect of life, life. It's a constant process. And if you're not constantly learning, you're not growing. And you can't effectively make that change. And I think that also is, uh, is awareness of how you operate in the world, how you engage with others, how you engage with yourself that dictates a lot of your ability to, to grow, to be successful. I think that's great advice, Brendan. Thank you so much for doing that for us and for being on the podcast. Um, it was so good to meet you and also to learn more about your insights on this whole world of social media and building our own brands and how to stand out in this, in this three second world. So Brendan, thanks again for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to connect with you and everybody that was tuning into this. Well, that's Brendan Kane. What an interesting discussion with him. Uh, boy, he is data-driven and certainly helping brands and companies and individuals all around the world really get their message out. It is a micro-attention world, is it not? We have three seconds or less. So the fact that you hung on this long to this podcast is amazing. Uh, thank you and con congratulations. Do me a favor. Take a screenshot right now from your iPhone. Tag me, at Darren Johnson one follow me, and also tag I Dare You Pod on Instagram, and let us know what your biggest insights were from this episode. So what are some of your next steps? I would definitely follow Brendan Kane on Instagram. You'll get some great, great free content and some valuable insights. We drop these episodes every week, and we'll do it again next week for episode 29. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.